All right, all you podcast listeners, I managed to poke and prod Ryan Sage a little bit and save you some money on merch. So use code PODCAST23 at checkout. Save yourself 20% on your favorite FD merch, with the hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever it is that you want. Use code PODCAST23 at checkout. Save that money. Get yourself some cool FD stuff, and we'll see you out there. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Outer Zone, the official podcast of Formula Drift. My name is Jacob Gettins, and today we have Kyle the Menace Mohan. What's going on, buddy? Oh, just really happy to be on the show. Um, it's been a wild year. Been drifting now for a little over 20 years, 20 years professionally with Formula Drift, and it's just amazing to see the sport grow and still be involved in it. So just happy to yeah, be here. Yeah, it's wild. I, I mean, in doing the research, like, you are an OG. You've been around. You've seen everything, which is crazy. Like, I'm sure there's times you look back and like, especially this year is like, did this year hit you differently when they're like 20 years and you're like, oh, wait, I have been around for that long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of amazing um, being around some of the drivers that have also been involved for 20 years, I think. When we started, uh, when I got a passion for drifting, before Formula Drift was even a series, we were doing the uh, import show-off events, RSR events, and uh, to then see the birth of the sport, um, try to conceptualize a business around it and make that be a business for a few years, um, You know, try to draw that into your own plan when a sport was so new. And uh, I know a couple of the other guys at the time that we're also doing this and to see some of those guys still doing it um, and to be one of them that's still involved is amazing. And, uh, you know, it's been so cool to also develop uh, the rotary engines that I build um, kind of in conjunction with Mazda Tricks and my own shop to try to combat the sport, um, the evolution of the sport, the horsepower wars, the torque wars, um, we're one of the smallest displacement motors out there, and uh, it's amazing to continue to evolve the motor packages, grow with the sport, and look back and go, wow, um, this all started because uh, I was out doing burnouts, getting yelled at by my dad. <laughs> and uh, he was like, you got to go find somewhere to go do this. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go find a place to go do burnouts. And I, I did. I took it to the track. So, you know, got yelled at. I, th <laughs> I think it's funny that like, so much has changed, but it also hasn't because you're still doing burnouts and still getting yelled at by your dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's so accurate. And uh, we just uh, now have a very uh, a very orchestrated place uh, to do these yeah. burnouts. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing. Can't believe it. Would, would that have been like the club 4AG days and stuff like that? Like way, yeah. way back? Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, club 4AG. I think one of the first uh, drift events I actually parked took in was Drift Day 4 um, by Club oh, wow. 4AG. Um, and that yeah. was a long time ago. Uh, I still somewhere have a decal that's a Drift Day decal. And uh, and think about the fact that it was some of the people that were there went on to be judges. Um, Alex Pfeiffer, Andy Yen, um, no longer judges or involved in the yeah. sport in the same way, but they were, you know, founding people and founding figures, drivers. Um you know, came from Club 4AG, uh, Taka, uh, Naoki, um, Moto. A lot of these guys, they're older figures of the sport. Some of them are still around. Some of them are still very involved. And uh, some of them have moved on. But yeah, those were some of the building block days that kind of helped American 
uh, grassroots drifting turn into more of a professional sport. Yeah. I mean, I, you, and you're, you're kind of climb up that too. Like obviously RSR, yeah. you know, I'm assuming like just drift up in Willow, like yeah. all of that then leads to initial days of FD. And then what was, what's, what I, what I think is interesting and it's maybe it's just because of like the guys I've been talking to recently is like how many of you went and competed over in China and like going through and like looking back on those events and how insane those were like, yeah. You, Cause you did, a, you did a couple of years, right? You did three, three years. I did way more than that over there. Was it um, way more than yeah, that? Yeah. I think I went like over, uh, over the period of about, uh, 10 years. I think I went seven years. Um, I wow. missed a couple of years. Um, they were really big events, uh, stadium style events, a lot of professional drivers from the U S um, from around the world, Japan, uh, simultaneously, while we were competing against Diego Saito and other Japanese drivers here in the U.S., we were also competing against uh, those same drivers in China um, while they were competing in Japan as well. So you really had a lot of competition going on. And it definitely, again, was kind of a building block that's led to some of what Formula Drift is doing, some of what we're seeing overseas, um, you know. And then there was even events before that, Um XDC, uh, Nopi Drift. Uh, there's yep. been so many uh, sanctions that have come through. I mean, obviously, Formula Drift has been the leading one that's it's given us all a home. Uh, but it's been cool to to partake in those events, uh, learn from those events, and then continue. But yeah, China was crazy. Um, <laughs> just like the modern stadium events, uh, massive crowds, uh, very risky driving. And uh, fireballs and entertainment is very, you know, very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of, I mean, I I like seeing that, and it's interesting too when people are talking about all the all the different events going on around the world and you know different things. Obviously, you know, you kind of look back and you're like, oh, this thing happened too. Like, I think it's very we quickly forget everything that happened previous, and it's very easy to get lost in the now when it's like events like this have been going on forever, and and with drifting in general and FD in specific, it's like, there's kind of been like these ebbs and flows, which, you know, realistically are based kind of around the economy. Like, you know, we talk about sponsorship and like, I mean, at one point in time you were sponsored by circuit city, like yeah. <laughs> that, that program now would be nuts. Like people yeah. would be pumped, but like, yeah, we've seen big companies like that come in. We've seen them leave. We've seen them come back. I mean, you were sponsored by GT for a while. They left, they yeah. come like, they've come back. Like that's, how all of this works is like, you know, these ebbs and flows. So I'm Absolutely. excited to see what's coming up. I've heard some whispers on the winds of things that are in the works for the next couple of years. And I'm like, damn, I were like, we're on the, we're now on the ground floor of what I think is going to be the next big couple of years of drifting. I, you know, I absolutely think the same thing. And it's been really interesting to see the growth after COVID. Obviously there was kind of a pause in the world there. Um, but the fan excitement, uh, the amount of people showing up at events, and then the effort the teams have put in to just create wild cars up the driving level, um, I absolutely agree. It's going to be really neat, considering that this might be a ground floor level still of what drifting is, uh, to what it can grow to over the next few years. Um, I think it's going to be great. Yeah, I think I think obviously COVID set us back by a bit and now it's like, okay, you know, we had a bit of a 
economic boom. We kind of came out of it into a dip. And if I'm hoping we're kind of like on that part where we're, we're not in the basement anymore. We're starting to move up. Like I absolutely agree. Like everything I think is, is, you know, the sport itself, we'll watch the economy, but the sport's on the move. Yeah. Um, You know, drifting's drifting's looking as good as it's, it's ever been. You look at like the Utah event. I can't wait to see what we're going to get out of Irwindale as far as media. It's just, dude, the cars look so powerful on track. You know, every once in a while I step back as a driver and I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's incredible. (laughs) Well, um, without like, I mean, we're recording this yeah. before Irwindale for anybody listening. Yeah. This will come out after, but oh, this sorry. is the, this, yeah. ah, it's fine. It's fine. But like, I don't care. Um, it, oh no, I pre-record shows. Oh no. Um, but this is the Monday before Irwindale and there are no more assigned seating. There is just like yeah. single day tickets that are left. Like last year we sold out completely, I think on Friday before like on qualifying, like, yeah, Utah, like first year was big. Second year was massive. Sold out. It's yeah. only, yeah, it's only going to get bigger. I mean, there's only a couple of events left that we're not selling out. One of them, St. Louis. And that's just because like you, I don't think we could um, yet. Yeah, that's like, a big, <laughs> like, big wall so big. of leashes right there. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I'd love to see what Formula Drift could do. And I mean, this is just speaking, you know, from the heart, but it's like, I would love to see what Formula Drift, whether or not it's it's viable at this point, but what Formula Drift could do in like Los Angeles Stadium or one of those yeah. stadium style events. I mean, obviously the expense here in the US to set something like that up is is different than it is in other parts of the world. But if if expense wasn't the 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 driving thing that's holding it back, like how big could that be? You know, how many people would come to see yeah. like Formula Drift go down in a big stadium in a metropolis area? I think it could oh, be 100%. Really yeah. I, it would be it would be nuts. Like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's like the big the big thing to talk about is it's it's a very yeah. different cost to do that in metropolitan USA than it is, yeah. you know, <laughs> in places in Europe. So, yeah, or um, in Asia where, you know, we were doing the ones in China, so kind of same thing. Yeah. It's uh, it's cost effective there. They had the stadiums and they had the resources to put it together. So, yeah. Yeah, that's all good. Um yeah. Oh yeah. No, I was, I was going to get on to, um, I really want to touch on your new build. So I am, I, I have this love hate relationship with the FDRX sevens. I've attempted to buy two. Uh, <laughs> the first time the importer I was using turned out to be a scam and I lost a bunch of money. So that put like a bad taste in my mouth. And then the second time I came very, very close and the guy pulled out last minute. So they've been this, um, this car for me, that's like unattainium because one, my my two best friends growing up that I started all my content stuff with, one owns a black R34, and the other one owns a black JDM uh, Mark IV Supra. So now I have to get a JD, a black JDM or FDRX7. Like it just it has to fit. Yeah. But yeah, you have you've managed to get your hands on another what looks to be a, a good looking shell. Um, I mean, I'm sure it needs some love, but is that? Oh, yeah. Is that the next FD car? Is that the plan? Well, you know, the team, myself, obviously the partners involved, you know, we're, we're very much committed to Mazda and Rotary. Um, for a while, we put in a lot of talk about what it would be like, um, you know, to put a three rotor or a four rotor into something that's not a Mazda chassis or use a modern Mazda chassis, kind of like what Mad Mike did for Pikes Peak. Um, you know, so we were like, wow, what would it be like to have a four rotor and a BMW in formula drift, great suspension, you know, specific styling, you know, what would it be like to put a four rotor in a vet, you know, kind of go the Rob Dom route of, you know, 
take yeah. an American chassis uh, that can be that has a lot of uh, American support. I'm an American driver, you know, mix the JDM and the American vibe. But but in the end, uh, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, what I wanted, what my dream car uh, could be, what I want, it became more important than maybe uh, just filling the void and building another drift car per se for competition. And then also with our partners, Mazda Tricks, um, you know, they're the leading distributor, biggest distributor of Mazda rotary related parts in the U.S. So we wanted to work with our partners. I wanted to fulfill my own dream build in my life. And so, yes, we're going to build a FD3S Formula Drift car and I'm putting a four rotor in it. Um, I cannot guarantee when we're going to get this done. This is more <laughs> of a of a labor of love. My team would love to see it on the track next year. And I think that's what my goal would be. But um, I'm not going to push this thing and try to rush it to get it ready for Long Beach Formula Drift. I've debuted too many cars at Long Beach and uh, it's nerve wracking as a driver. And uh, it's really tough to get the amount of testing you need in between the end of the year building a car and then uh, getting into the upcoming season. So really our goal is to start developing this new build, this new motor package, this new car, um, kind of in conjunction with the team. Obviously, we're going to continue running Formula Drift, probably with the RX-8. And then we've got the MX-5 that's been developed and uh, kind of a backup car we've been using in other uh, drift series. We've considered Time Attack. But uh, let's just be honest. Like, I'm a rotary guy. Yeah, I love rotary cars. I'm not going to stop buying rotary cars. I'm not going to stop <laughs> building rotary cars. Everybody keeps asking like, oh, yeah, we're going to stop. No, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to build the most iconic rotary car I can. I'm going to build an FDE four rotor and then I'm going to go just absolutely get wild with it in Formula Drift. What could be better? That's the dream. Damn. That's the dream. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you've, um, I'm trying to think like the most polite way of putting this. Like, you you look at your standings over the last couple of years and yeah. it's not been amazing, but like you just, you're here for the love, dude. No, seriously. Yeah. Like yeah. I, yeah. I've been in the pits for a while. I, I try to make a point to stop and say hi anytime I can. Your dad stops me every event to make sure to say hi. He's like, have you seen Kyle? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, he's, he's busy. But like you genuinely just love being there. No matter what happens out on track, no matter what the standings say, you just love it, which I think that's the most powerful thing in this because if you don't it's very easy to just not anymore right oh, yeah. yeah absolutely and i mean i think that's a big statement you know as a family as a person as a car builder um, as a driver i love competing in formula drift i really want to win i want one of those trophies so bad and uh, i think it's so disappointing because this year the cars actually ran really good um, you know, we had a couple struggling years. I think, you know, I've been really working on my driving. Obviously, I need to constantly get better as well as the car needs to constantly get better. But it's a year where as a team, we've done great. We've had some some great efforts, solid qualifying runs, and I just do not have the points uh on the on the bracket and formula drift to really show the effort that the team and uh, the partners and what everybody has put in. Um, we've literally had years where we had more problems or, uh, you know, worse uh, runs that got laid down, but we were more victorious because other people had failures. And uh, mm. this year we've just been up against, uh, you know, 
Papadakis Racing, Forsberg. Um, it's been, you know, uh, uh, RTR. It's just been back-to-back top teams. And, I mean, I guess that's every team in Formula Drift now because even us, we're not going out on a on a DNF. We're not going out because we break something. We're, we're finishing out all of our runs just like everybody else. Um, but it's been a very interesting year because we feel like we really did field a solid car. We've put down a solid effort. Um, but we just haven't been able to be victorious or get the points. So, uh, you know, just to kind of say it, it's like, yeah, I absolutely love being there. And that's one of the biggest reasons we show up is I build my engines and I build my car to prove that they're some of the best in the world. And there's really no other place to do that in the U.S. outside of Formula Drift when it comes to drifting. Um, and so that's part of my goal is, is, as a engine builder and car builder, because that's what I love. And then the driving effort, it's like, well, what am I going to do? Go shred tires alone? No, I'm going to shred tires against some of the best drivers out there, some of the coolest guys out there and test my skills against those drivers. So it really is a love for competition and a love for the sport um, that keeps me coming back and keeps me pushing uh, why I intend to build another car that's going to be lighter, more powerful, uh, shorter wheelbase. I do like shorter wheelbase cars. Um, you know, everybody talks about the MX-5. I used to have some pretty good battles in my FC. I've driven uh, 240s and S chassis. And uh, the RX-8 really is uh, the size of a Mustang. So it is actually one of the bigger cars out there with the smallest displacement motor, which you don't notice it so much, but I think that was probably a difficult thing for us to field. Um, and looking back, I think we can field something that's going to be more competitive and probably highlight what I am as a driver better. So do, do you think yeah. switching over to the four rotor, like, yeah, I, will that, will that sort any of like the torque? Yeah. Like, obviously like rotary just, I mean, the torque is, yeah. is where it's missing has all yeah. the top end. You have rev range for days. The power band on those cars, I've seen the dynographs, like there's <laughs> yeah. a power band. It's not like you're just spiking. Yeah. So is that is that why the four rotor is coming into play then? Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, there is a game of horsepower to usable traction that's happening in Formula Drift, and it's not really being exceeded yet. You look at some of the teams out there, and they're, they're using 1,100, 1,200, 1,300, 1,400 horsepower. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some big numbers going on and, and we're laying down a thousand um, on boost. It's into the 900s with the nitrous. We're getting over a thousand, but we still end up in the torque range of the mid to high 700s with a three rotor. Um, okay. So that's where we're deficient. It's not bad, but it's not great. And so with a four rotor, we should be able to square that up a little more, more typical to what your inline sixes see or even a little closer to what some V8s might be producing, which is if we're making 1,100 horsepower, we should be in the eight to 900 foot-pounds of torque range. And I think, you know, torque number-wise, that will start to create a torque number that starts to be competitive with some of the V8s that are out there. I think it'll mm. still be deficient to some degree, but with displacement, even in rotaries, um, you do pick up torque. And rotaries are kind of interesting. When you get into a four rotor, you're starting to get overlapping pulses. So you're actually firing a little bit on top of each other. So the torque starts to multiply. Um, as where a two rotor, you're completely separated. A three rotor, mm -hmm. you're starting to pulse up. A four rotor, you're starting to overlap. Think, oh, that, interesting. I think that's right. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it's 100% duty cycle motor. So one pulse hasn't yeah. quite finished before the third one starts. The third pulse hasn't quite finished before the fourth pulse is starting to light off. 
if that oh. makes sense. So that really yeah. does help with torque. Um, and that's why I think, you know, the four rotor is an iconic motor. It sounds amazing. And it's where it starts to really become a argument for displacement and piston motors. Is that, would that still be NA or would you, no. are you adding so turbo? All, all, okay. all the turbo, all the nitrous, <laughs> I don't know I'm any like, better. <laughs> like if I had a V8, I'd still do all the same stuff. Like uh, I would just, you know, if I had like a, a six liter or a seven liter, I'd still want like multiple turbos and lots of nitrous. <laughs> I've spent 20 years dialing in these wild setups. So why wouldn't I put all that stuff on there too, you know, as yeah. the displacement goes up. So yeah, we oh, absolutely man. intend to keep it turbocharged. Um, it's still a debate whether it would go single or double. I think twin turbos on a four rotor is good with efficiency of boost and uh, the b ability to make torque, but it goes, it gets more complicated. You have more things to break. I've done twin turbo cars. So if we can get away with a single and get to where we want to be with the nitrous, I think that would be ideal for me, kind of a simplified setup. Um, no anti-lag on that particular setup, like the three rotor in the MX-5 has. Um, yeah. I think the nitrous just being used aggressively is just as powerful of a torque filler and a boost filler than the anti-lag was. Um, so I think I would just try to basically run a significant amount of nitrous with a nice single turbo on a four rotor. And that would be very, very good for formula drift. Hmm. Ah, it's exciting. And like, yeah, the, that chassis too has a good amount of aftermarket support. It has yeah. a cult following. It's got a lot of interest. Yes. It is arguably one of the most beautiful cars ever created in my opinion i mean yeah there are very few cars. and you i mean you already have do you still have the show car yeah. okay yeah, cool. so i still have the show car and that's a, a bn sports bls kit um and everybody has said why don't you drift that car and right it really is that uh, with the authentic body kit and the time we put in there i just couldn't bring myself to take it out onto the formula drift circuit and beat it up. And, and kind of like you said, um, it's a, such an iconic chassis that I always had a little bit of like, just, man, do I really want to go beat up one of these rare cars? That's irreplaceable. There's not a mm. lot of FD RX sevens in the world. They're a limited numbers, chassis, a limited numbers car in the U S they only brought them in for three years. And if you actually look at the numbers, it's remarkably low. Um, I think arguably the Supra, the NSX, and the FD3S are probably at the Skyline. Um, yeah. the, the four, uh, you know, most sought after Japanese iconic classic kind of supercars. So to take any of those out into Formula Drift and know that the chassis could get sacrificed to I, the Formula Drift gods yeah. <laughs> um, is, is tough, is, is really tough, um, you know, because we've had that happen. We've, we've lost cars and had to rebuild. Um, but I actually bought two shells. So knowing full well what I wanted to commit to and not wanting to take apart my, my street show car that I built for SEMA a few years ago, uh, we found a couple chassis that were straight, um, and look like they could be formula drift cars. So one of those is actually out getting a roll cage. We're going with cage kits. Awesome guys. Nice. Um, yeah. getting all TIG welded in. And then, uh, we're going to start to fit the four rotor and, uh, fit the drivetrain HGT sequential gearbox. Again, I bring those in from, uh, from uh, overseas. Um, yeah. so we're going to go with kind of a very similar package to what we've already developed for years now. We're just adding a rotor to it. And, uh, it's kind of been from my engine development side as an engine builder. Well, what I really wanted to bring to the table was 
what I call like a, a thousand horsepower three rotor package. Um, something that you could drop into a drift car, a street car. No, like, you know, it depends on where you live. Road yeah. race car, drag car, boat, airplane. Um, I put rotaries in all kinds of stuff. Drones. Um, not me personally, but for people buying odd rotary engines from me and builds. But uh, one of the things that has been desirable is like, okay, I just want a bolt-in thousand horsepower rotary. So that's kind of where we've got to with the three rotor is we're very confident in that package. Mm-hmm. But uh, in Formula Drift, we need a few hundred more horsepower. So add another more. triangle, more Dorito. <laughs> um, you've you've kind of like dispelled a lot of myths too with like rotaries being unreliable because this is the same yeah. engine all year, right? Yeah. 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 Oh man. Like we're some, knock on some wood. Yeah. Uh, yeah my whole, get- <laughs> my whole goal was to be able to continually come back year to year with the same block. Um, and we've done that over different years. Last year was not a super successful year. It was not the engine's fault. Uh, we had some electronic <laughs> issues, um, and that hurt the motor. So we had yeah. to rebuild it twice last year, but this year it's been the exact same block. Hasn't been a part um, it went through dyno, preseason testing, more dyno, Long Beach when I hit the wall. Probably should have taken it apart then just based on the physics of the crash that we had yeah, in Georgia. It was a good hit, man. No, it's not, not a good way to start the year. Um, but uh, the car took it. I took it. We got out to Georgia. And so the one thing I would say is the motor has been remarkably strong and reliable this year. And I would say that anybody in Formula Drift is pushing their engines. We're all pushing them, whether it's the V8, the inline, uh, me as a rotary guy. Um, but all of us would prefer to have our engines be as reliable or last throughout the season as often as possible. And, uh, you know, it's always, you know, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but it's always a nice feeling when the rotary engine is the one that's reliable. And I look out there and I see, uh, inline guys and V8 guys having to change engines, um, change yeah. blocks. And, and some of them are very similar horsepower to what we're laying down. So the myths of the rotary engine, the apex seals breaking, um, things like that, I would say that is just not myths anymore. Um, right behind me. This is the unbreakable apex seals I run. I didn't mean to okay. have them behind me. I just have them everywhere. <laughs> Because I'm a rotary guy, I got Apex seals yeah. everywhere. But uh, yeah, you you build it properly and you should be able to get what you want out of it, just like any other motor out there. And that's what I tell people is, you know, you can set up a V8 that should be able to do a thousand plus horsepower for a year. You kind of know what the formula is. Same thing with the rotary. We've gotten to a point where you want a 600 horsepower 13B, 800 horsepower 13B, thousand horsepower three rotor. I can pretty much tell you what's going to be reliable as long as you can get fuel and spark to it reliably. That's up to you. So what What if, I guess, like, what was the thing that was causing all of these, like, rotary fails previously? Like, I don't want you to give away your secret sauce, but, like, what were guys fuel screwing delivery. up? Fuel, fuel delivery. Huh? Yeah, it's fuel delivery. I think huh. the biggest issue with rotaries is they need more fuel uh, when you're tuning them uh, based on the stoichiometric curve. Um, they are not the same as a piston engine. They need more fuel. It needs to it's be like fat. non-linear. Yeah, yeah. not not. If, if you try to tune it like a piston motor, you will lean it out, and it's done. And then a big issue with rotaries is is they only get one oops, and it's broken. If you detonate, it's broken. Interesting. If you overheat it, it's broken. If you lean it out, 
It's broken. And I've seen this time and time again with piston motors, even the V8s I've built for myself. I've, I've built V8 cars in case anybody's wondering. They're awesome. I'm a hot rod guy. Like I love that yeah. stuff too. But uh, I was able to break them as well. But they're way more forgiving in tuning. Okay. You can accidentally run a V8 out of fuel or overheat it and it will probably be fine. That is not the case for rotaries. So in the end, you have a combination of the motor probably being slightly underbuilt for what it was trying to do and then probably being used in a little bit more of an aggressive tune or configuration than it could actually take. And mm. you compare that to like your old 350 small block and it would go detonation down the street, running lean, running fat. And you come back and retune it, and the rotary wouldn't come back down the street. So okay. that kind of leads to, from an American standpoint of hot rodding, like a why is this this engine breaking all the time, not a why am I screwing it up all the time. Because other engines take that, no problem. Um, so you kind of have to go into the rotary engine build with a different understanding of like, well, okay, I, I actually can't find out where the detonation limit is. I have to stay safe. Mm. I'll never know where my three rotor is going to detonate unless I want to blow it up. <laughs> and then the next one's different anyway. So, and then, yeah, yeah, like you just blew that one up. So now go build another one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I think, you know, a misunderstanding from just what we could get away with in automotive culture. Um, and then it was very easy to use the apex seal as a scapegoat because the original Mazda motors had a carbon apex seal, which did, fail all the time and wear out too soon. So the first generation of rotaries in the 70s basically gave the rotary engine a reputation that's carried them through till now. Right. Similar to like yeah. what we saw with like early turbocharging in the US or even diesel, yeah. like the diesel yeah. craze, the terrible diesels in the 80s and 90s. I exactly. Mean, it got it got yeah. better with like the 12 yeah. valve Cummins and stuff like that. But yeah. huh. So it's just, yeah. it was just carried a reputation from like a one generation that was yeah. particularly well, bad. I would say yes. And then I will say the RX-8 did it no favors. The RX-8 yeah. did Mazda no favors. It's an awesome chassis, but it was a, a problematic engine that didn't deliver the horsepower that the previous generation turbocharged motors did. And I think people mm -hmm. kind of wanted that power from their rotary. Of course. And, uh, and then it really did just have a habit of dying around 80,000 miles, which when I've you're had, talking about a new car, that's, that's pretty that's low. That's tough. Yeah, that's tough. I've had so, three friends yeah. run them and they've all said yeah. the same thing. Like mix your fuel, cut mm -hmm. all the emission yep. stuff off them. And there was like one other change that they had said, yeah, but yeah. they're like, if you redline these things, like once every couple of days, they're fine. They yeah. just build up and you just got to, yeah. you got to clear it out. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And again, so. I think it's like that weird thing where yeah, premix, obviously same thing. It's behind me on yeah. the rotary guy. So it's like everywhere, <laughs> but everywhere. Uh, yeah, the renewable lubricants premix, which we helped develop, but, uh, Basically, yeah, it's a don't be afraid to rev them. I think, again, you have so many people that buy a rotary and then they're afraid to do rotary things like rev it up or premix it. And so they end up driving it softly, which isn't going to do it any favors. It's like an old Italian car. You, you got to drive yeah. your Ferrari. You got to drive your Lambo. You can't you can't just let it sit in the garage. It's going to clog up the valves with carbon and then you got to do the old Italian tune up, you know? Yeah. But uh, wow. pour some ATF in there. Go get, go floor it. Yeah. 
But, uh, you know, so rotaries were similar. And so then you have a combination of just people probably not changing the oil enough because, you know, we're, we're just American car culture is not the best on maintenance. Mm. Um, and it's a very small motor. So based on displacement, based on heat, it needs its oil change like every 2,500 miles, not every 5,000 miles. Okay. And so then, you know, people just don't do the maintenance. They get overheated and they die. It's like having a motorcycle engine in a car. If you yeah. don't take care of it and it's that small, you're just overworking it. So it's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I've, I mean, like I'm in this weird yeah. stage. You need like one. So, you need an FD in your life. It'll change your life. You won't have any money anymore. I know. All your friends will be jealous, but you, it'll, it'll just sit in your driveway and you'll always get <laughs> to buy parts for it online. I love FDs. They're fantastic. That's what. <laughs> uh, I, it's, they, it's still, it'll happen. It's just like, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the yeah. right one. I want it to be JDM. Yeah. I want it to be black, which yeah. like very much limits. Although they did make quite a, a lot of black ones. I can get them in Canada. Like yeah. there's so many importers, so it's a little bit easier, but like I've been waiting. I did own an RX-8 for a minute. Uh, it was just a shell, but being Canadian, it was rusted out. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm in the process right now of like, I need another drift car. I want, let's say 280 to 350 horsepower range. I don't want to screw with it. I just want to be able to get in, you know, put seats in it, maybe a half cage and just go and drive. Cause like, I don't have time to do anything else. Like, I get maybe three drift weekends a year because I'm spending the rest of my time watching drifting or, you know, doing drifting stuff. Yeah, so like, thanks. Yeah, no, it's all good. Yeah. Um, it's it's an easy trade-off. I suck as a driver. So like to, to watch you guys do you things without me embarrassing myself, I'm set. Um, but the RX-8 was like a legitimate, it still is a legitimate contender for doing this where I'm like, I've talked to a bunch of people and they've all said the same thing. Like premix, there's some, the emissions, like cut off the exhaust, just straight pipe it. There was something else. I can't remember what it was. It's like upgraded. Cooling. Yeah, that was it. Um, yeah. Upgraded the cooling in it. And yeah, and just go and drive it. A buddy of mine drove yeah. three years on the original Renaissance, Renaissance, whatever yeah. it is, engine. And he loved it. And he's like, it makes, doesn't make a ton of torque. He goes, but it sounds like you're a monster everywhere you go. Cause you're just flat foot the entire track. Yeah. So. Clutch kicking. It's a, you know, and, and it teaches good driving, you know, it's to have I don't want to call it underpowered, but just not V8 yeah. torque at your at your disposable, you know, all the time. Um, I think, you know, an RX-8 or an FD, um, FCs in, in different configurations were actually Even very fun chassis. MX-5s. Yeah. MX oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The Miatas, the MX-5s. But yeah, they all kind of lack a little bit of power. But you go back to what drifting used to be. It wasn't always a horsepower war. It was a war of learning how to balance the car, drive the car, achieve whatever you could with whatever power you had. You look at like the old uh, 8.6 videos, old Corolla videos, tons of clutch kicking, tiny tires, you know, and it was much more about having fun with the car. Um, so, you know, it's just a matter of looking at it from different ways. Um, I'm definitely a horsepower guy now. So, yeah. you know, for me, <laughs> I, I want the turbos and the power. Uh, but yeah, like an RX-8 in a different frame of mind or like a stock VQ in a Z is a very fun beginner chassis and you can get a lot of good drifting out of something like that. They're, they're great cars, great chassis. The yeah. the stock Z VQ and then there's been a bunch of BMWs. I mean, it's incredible yeah. how fast BMWs lose value. It's yeah. wild. <laughs> I, found, I found a 2013 for like, it's a 2013 turbocharged and it was like eight grand. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what? Like, yeah, manual. It's, it's yeah. The, 
Yeah, as cool. soon as that check engine light comes on or the drivetrain light comes on, people Which are, could be I'm anything. Out. Yeah, it could, it be, could anything. be anything. Yeah. yeah. Your brake pad they're, sensor goes or something. Yeah. And you're like, engine lights on, sell the car. Like they're they're great. Uh I think they're great buys for track use or secondhand. Like the depreciation's too much, you know. It's incredible. But uh yeah, if you can pick one up at a good deal. Some of my crew guys, that's you know, I give them give them some flack because you know it's a rotary shop, but uh you know, that was one of the reasons we looked at BMW chassis as an option. There's just so much support. The chassis has some functional good things about it. But, uh, yeah. you know, in the end, like I said, I'm a Mazda guy. But, uh, yeah, the ability to pick those up as a beginner car. Um, I would have never said this five to ten years ago, but, like, <laughs> Mustangs and Corvettes, great drift cars now. Yeah. Like, go learn. Go pick something up. And, you know, all of these are going to be, I think most of what we've talked about right here, are going to be classics to some degree. Because we're destroying them all. So even the RX-8s yeah. down, down the road are, are going to have value, especially any of those limited edition ones, the Corvettes, I, the Mustangs, like, yeah. I, uh, you'll, I mean, you'll, you're one of very few mm -hmm. people that appreciate this. I recently bought a Mazda Speed Protégé. Yeah. Um, I, owned, awesome. I owned, I owned a bunch <laughs> of them back in the day and I actually yeah. sold my BM, I sold my BMW drift car to buy a Mazda Speed Protégé. Cause like those same, sweet yeah. cars. Yeah. Yeah. Great car. Love it. It's yeah, like, yeah. it's not fast, but like mm -mm. between the lights and like just getting onto the highway, it's amazing. Everywhere else it's, yeah. it's a dog, but like, yeah. that's, that's been like my dream is to rear wheel drive. They did make all wheel drive for a very limited time in Russia. Yeah. Like it's the only, but anyways, one day yeah. when I'm, you know, rich and famous, I'll rear wheel drive a Mazda protege and that'll be my drift car. But you know, I think it's putting it out in really the universe. Cool. Yeah. And maybe rotary. Really Why not? Cool. Right. I'll help yeah. you with that for sure. All right, I think cool. some of those Mazda chassis and what was it? There was the, was it the 626 or the 323, the rally car from way back three, in the two, day. Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All wheel drive rally car. So Mazda yeah. in a weird way has always had their kind of foot into racing. Just um, their you own know, path. With the rotaries. Yeah, their own kind of path. They've gone a little more luxury lately. So I'm interested to yeah. see, um, you know, rumors of like the RX-9, um, they've got a new rotary <laughs> hybrid out and, uh, the new rotary hybrid I'm excited about, um, because it's actually a different sized rotor. So when I can get my hands on that rotor, <laughs> I want to, like, Rotard, I'm going to invent yeah. a motor around that rotor. So if you can imagine, oh. because it's not impossible to make billet rotary blocks. I got one right over here. Right. And, uh, and you know, but the hardest part of a rotary engine to make is the eccentric shafts, the gears, and the rotors, the rotor in particularly. So if Mazda gives us a different displacement rotor that's bigger, then there's huh. nothing stopping the aftermarket industry from taking and building two rotor, three rotor, four rotor motors of a larger displacement category. And this is like, we're right on the cusp. Like this motor is supposed to come out in Europe in 2024 as part yeah. of a hybrid and uh, we're supposed to get it in 2025 here in the u.s and i'm already looking at the parts books i'm like talking to my mazda friends like how do i get some of these hybrid rotary components because you know just like taking a hayabusa motor and making it a v8 or taking an ls and, and building a block that's an ls v12 block right. rotary engines are not that different we can modularly configure them into whatever we want there's Two rotors, three rotors, four rotors, five rotors, six rotors, and a guy made a 12 rotor on the yeah. East Coast. Um, that's out there on the internet as well. So all it takes is giving us this foundation of the block 
um, which is way more cost effective to have the factory do than yeah. independent uh, machine shops. And I think we'll be on our way to like a whole new category of rotary engine and uh, something that will be part of the rotary industry. And then, yeah, sub in RX-9 or whatever that might be if Mazda comes out with that next supercar, total fingers crossed. We're I always know, hearing same. stuff. I've, um, I've heard there were there was talks yeah. about something being yeah. announced in Japan in like this month, but Man, I, I know I, it feels I, like I every feel year. Like every yeah. year, I feel like my friends in Japan tell me something's going to happen, <laughs> and and there's usually something at Tokyo Auto Salon that they drop. You know, they talk about, but it's just not turning into the car yet. Want. I think yeah. yeah. Last time I heard, it was a full aluminum block two liter 13 B with direct injection. And the issue they were having was the laser spark. And that's where their efficiency is the issue because where the spark plug hole is, you have a gas issue and that's where yeah. part of Mazda's loss of emissions efficiency happens is in the spark plug holes and the way that's configured. And so if they can go to a laser ignition. Like, it sparks off of the rotor itself. Yeah. Right? I don't even yeah. know. I'm not that, amazing but i know that it, the whole changes it changes that and and now yeah. change the emissions and if they can figure that out um then the displacement is more power and they solve the emissions problem and then we probably get rotaries back in different trims which in all honesty i think a lot of it's going to be in hybrid trim like so many supercars and sports cars these days but that doesn't mean you can't take those pieces out of the parts catalog or out of the hybrid or unhybrid a car to make it go drifting or something like that. We've seen Teslas with V8s in them. So we all know that, uh, you know, if they give us a chassis, we'll, we'll figure out a way to have fun with it. But uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what the rotary does over the next 10 years. Um, I hear people say, oh, it's dead. And it's like, no, it's actually not dead at all. Uh, the mass, yeah. uh, the aftermarket industry is really just beginning with, with a lot of aftermarket components, aluminum rotors, uh, cast blocks, um, aftermarket cast blocks and billet blocks, um, aftermarket shafts. So if Mazda actually, whether or not they do, if Mazda does come out with something new, um, that could really create another jump for this niche of an industry that is the rotary world. So. Yeah, it's interesting yeah, you, stuff. You've, I don't know if it's you or Mouse of Tricks that's got it, but don't you have like some very old lapping, like full-size lapping machines for the blocks yeah. and the housings yeah. and everything? Yeah. That's wild. I remember seeing a video yeah. and they, they look old. Like it looks like yeah. like World War II <laughs> type of yeah, tools. Yeah, probably. I think so. Yeah. Uh, a lot of like 1950s and 40s equipment that was kind of retrofitted, I think, in the 70s when the rotaries okay. were... Uh, being turned into race engines and started to go into IMSA and uh, different Le Mans categories, GT categories, whether it be from the U.S., which had a pretty good field of, of GT and IMSA-style cars, or out of Japan. Um, but yeah, Mazda Tricks, and a combination of me and Mazda Tricks, um, I've bought some of it from Mazda Tricks, but we have the old lapping tables, refinishing tables. So we're able to basically take those vintage rotary blocks or the new ones and refurbish them, which I think there's only a handful of shops in the U.S. that even offer that anymore. So yeah. that's kind of become one of the things that myself and Mazda Tricks specializes in, which would be strengthening the blocks, offering machine work, 
offering the available parts or the rare parts to be able to build performance configurations or maintain these classic vehicles, um, which is, is actually really difficult because you take a classic rotary car to a hot rod shop and there's a very good chance that they're not going to know what to do with that engine at all. And they could easily yeah. <laughs> cause damage and we see it all the time. And, and then, you know, vice versa, it's like maybe, uh, you know, let the restoration of the chassis happen at a very, you know, high caliber chassis shop, but maybe let the rotary engine restoration happen at a rotary engine facility. You know, I don't need to name names around the country, but I'll just say you can start with Mazda Tricks. You can start with KMR. There's some other All ones right. around, but, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Send, hey, it to us. send it to us. Send it to us. Like, we'll we'll exactly. take care of you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, having that machinery, um, is one of the reasons I can still run in formula drift with rotary engines because through the development of our package, um, there were some years early on where we were trying to figure out the configurations of what we needed port wise, strength wise, boost wise, nitrous wise. And we were going into territory that nobody would talk to us about, um, Drag right. racers were either secretive or other shops were saying it just simply wasn't possible. And so obviously in the early days of me developing these packages, we blew some stuff up. And it was only because we had access to uh, the machine shop at Mazda Tricks, the lapping tables and, uh, you know, their support that we were able to really develop these packages. Um, and now we can go, yeah, hey, we've had the same block all year long and uh, we're totally <laughs> confident in it. And I plan to run that same block next year. And I think it's an interesting thing. I say, hey, that's the same block all this year, but it's actually the same block from the past five years. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, the, the eccentric shaft, which would be my crank, the center plate, the center bearing, which basically is your 20B. That's what you have to build off of. The main right. bearing carrier plate and the shaft has been the same for five years. Wow. Have just WPC treated, keep it oiled. We're running the renewable lubricants and uh, don't overheat it. And the components and rotary engines are very reliable, but you fail on some of those things and it goes out the window. Um, the subsidiary parts, the rotors, uh, the apex seals, side seals, and bearings, some of that has been replaced. Last year, yeah. we had to replace a rotor due to the electrical issue poofed a rotor and rotor housing and associated seals, but it had nothing to do with the engine being the fail failure point. It had to do with detonation caused by an electronic failure, sent the wrong signal, hmm. detonated. We have it on data. Very sad story. Hurt the yeah. motor for no reason. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, I think, I think it's very interesting. You know, I'll, I'll say it kind of how it is. It's a rebuild from the beginning of the year, but technically that motor's been being rebuilt each year that this RX-8 has been in competition and that's been the same block throughout each one of these rebuilds. So there's been no block failures. We've just had some components that need to be replaced. And that's yeah. a little different than what a lot of the piston teams are able to do. Um, but I do know there are teams that carry those blocks over year to year. So yeah. I think, again, it's trying to create rotary packages that mimic uh, and, and discard what everybody said they were, that, that bad reputation, and mimic what other race engines are doing. Hey, everybody. Jacob here from the Formula Drift podcast. We have an awesome deal for you. So if you head over to shopfd.com and use coupon code PODCAST23, you're going to save 20% 
on any merch. So anything you can find on that website, use podcast23 at shopfd.com. Save yourself 20%. Hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever. Just, just use the code. Save yourself some money. So why not? You know, don't don't stop listening. Wait till the show's done. But then head over, shopfd.com. Use podcast23. We'll see you guys out there. So, so changing gears completely yeah. here. Um, besides having Manny Pacquiao's mother in your car, what is the <laughs> most interesting person you've met through drifting? Oh man, that was that was pretty wild. So, and Manny Pacquiao <laughs> was there with his mom, and I'm pretty sure I offended a team member, kind of pushing them out of the way to get Manny Pacquiao's mom in there. Like I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like I don't want to get beat up right now or offend anybody. But uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, we've had some other celebrities come through that have been pretty amazing, but the one that probably stands out, and this will, I don't know going to end up on blacklisted somewhere for saying this probably. But uh, so when I was in uh, China uh, doing the W and this is a weird one. So I don't know, again, I don't know, but it's like the one that came into my head, but I, I, uh, <laughs> I got to meet the former Mexican president, uh, Vega Fox. Okay. Like, yeah. And uh, it was in a totally random, like, you know, it'd be like, I haven't got to meet any of the U S presidents. They haven't came to any drift events. Um, you know, that'd be pretty rad. Come on, step it up. But, uh, literally like, you know, you're like, is that the dictator? You're like, yeah. Hey, he's walking by. Hey, uh, I am a drifter (laughs) went by. And I was like, was that really like, are we, are we like on a list now? Like what happened? You know, just kind of, I was standing there and that happened. But, uh, you know, I think that's one of those odd things that I would have never had that happen had I have not been a professional drifter and just happened to be plopped in this spot where there was parade of people walking by and we were just there being the celebrities of the event. And there were other U.S. drifters right there next to me. I won't give any of them away. Yeah, yeah. That was wild. Um, on other notes, William Shatner. Got to uh, meet what? William Shatner. Yeah, that, was, that was pretty rad. Yeah, yeah, that was really rad. Super nice guy. Um, got to meet Ellen DeGeneres. That was kind of cool through driving. Yeah, did that. Um, Some other. Oh, I got to meet. uh, Oh, man. uh, Rock band. Uh, (laughs) I let let their I let their lead singer uh, Queens of the Stone Age. And uh, he was a car guy. Yeah, he was a car guy. And uh, so he was like sweet talking me and he was like, hey, let me let me like uh, take your car around. And I was like, all right, you break it. You bought it. And he was like, sure. And he almost like. He almost put it into a telephone pole, maybe two <laughs> inches from the driver door. Like his agent and everybody uh-huh. was like, get out of the car. You're not allowed to drive anybody else's cars for the day. Um, so it's just really interesting where you end up and who you meet. And it's totally, uh, you know, I would have never met any of those people had it have not been for motorsports. And it was never them meeting me because i'm kyle mohan it was totally always like here's the pro drifter say hi to this guy but it's a really neat thing um to have happen and uh, so many of the celebrities were just so nice and down to earth oh paul walker got to hang out with paul walker multiple times before he passed away and uh, that hurt that hurt honestly like if you're a car guy that really stung um I got to drive his BMW. I was part of the Fast and the Furious, uh, some of the stunt driving and commercials that happened. And uh, yeah, just, you know, stuff from doing this for years. And uh, 
And like, he was the coolest down to earth guy. I never talked to him at all about filming or movies or anything. We talked about like fishing. We talked about cars. (laughs) We talked about track life, nature, and he would just talk as, as long as you wanted to talk. But I could see as soon as him, as soon as he got approached as an actor, he walked away. Like, yeah. That was not why he was out in public. That was not why he was at the track. Um, you know, even uh, he ran in Redline Time Attack before it turned into Global Time Attack for a couple events. And yep. so we were out there at Button Willow. And, and at that point, I'd worked with him on the movie stuff a little bit. And so we were chatting a little bit. And yeah, totally random, amazing uh, things that it's almost hard to even believe have happened. Uh, I met Tarzan Yamada. Um, got to hang out with that guy, which I mean, maybe not on like the, the celebrity level of like Shatner, but, yeah. uh, you know, hanging out, I got to go to a restaurant and uh, have a couple of beers with the uh, Tarzan and a couple of those guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. Cool. It's, it's kind of funny, you know, the Japanese guys, um, to get in trouble for this one, but after a couple of beers, they always speak better English. And it's, you know, it's like, there's no English. And then a couple beers in, Tarzan was talking to me in English. Or maybe I could just understand <laughs> Japanese better. So Maybe maybe it was the beers you are having <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was doing it. <laughs> it's totally, that, that definitely yeah. goes both ways there. So yeah, very nice people, very fun, life-changing events. Um, you know, probably more yeah. things like that. But uh, it's been a, an amazing ride and a, and a blessing to be part of drift culture as it's grown and got to have these experiences and you know as amazing all of that is it's really like you mentioned at the beginning it's always been a family effort from my side um it's always been me and my pops uh my wife was my spotter for a long time yep now that now that we have a kid she's kind of busy with that um so not my spotter anymore but uh we've never been a massively funded team uh we've always kind of chosen the odd path with the rotary. Um, but what I would say is it's just been an amazing time and it's so much fun to do it with my friends and my family. And then, yeah, like you brought up, uh, the opportunity to meet these people over this time has just been incredible. Um, I would love to get some big funding someday. Um, you know, and we've had some good partners and, uh, but uh, I really do think that, uh, you know, there's a big part to that where some of the teams, they're able to afford, maybe it's not a big difference in car if we eliminate that, but the infrastructure around the car. Um, like whereas me and other drivers like Jeff Jones, um, oh man, so Cash, um, I think he still does it. We drive our trucks and trailers to the events. And so the amount of time uh, that we're gone from either our businesses or on the road that we're being exhausted, because it is exhausting to drive across the country, show up to a Formula Drift event, is part of the infrastructure that's difficult to kind of obtain um, as where, and I'm not knocking anybody, as where when you have the ability as a driver, and I've been able to do this in other situations, kind of show up, be prepared to drive and everything's there, it's a, it's your focus level is able to go up. And so that's kind of outside of building my dream car. Um, we've been putting a ton of effort into 
building more infrastructure at my shop. Um, Mazda Tricks is a pretty big shop, but KMR, we're still a small shop. So I'm trying to build up the infrastructure here, add more parts and products. So when I'm traveling, uh, the business kind of continues. And then same thing, having a little more of a dedicated paid crew that's able to travel with the team, be at every round, work on the car, maintain the car that doesn't have to get home right away to go back to their day job, um, you know, becomes a big part of competing in Formula Drift. So for us, you know, these steps of, you know, over the past couple of years, bigger trucks, bigger trailers, better, better shop infrastructure, um, more time for me to develop my driving skills, whether it be at track events or on simulators, all part of what we're doing, kind of similar to what any pr- professional athlete really should be doing. Um, and then now looking at, okay, what's my next biggest hurdle? And that's getting the team and the transportation uh, a little bit off of my shoulders and a little bit into more of that professional realm where you know we have the infrastructure to make all that happen. We have the finances <laughs> to make all that happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what it comes down to at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and and it's been amazing over the years to gradually take those steps. And, uh, you know, the past couple of years, we've been able to make further steps. So I'm hoping as this goes, you know, our partners like Renewable, eFlex, Mazda Tricks, Exidy, NGK, everybody who's making it happen. um, Hopefully we continue to make this partnership grow with them um, so we can make some of my really dedicated team members more like uh, my employees, my staff, versus yeah. uh, how it's been for so many years and for so many Formula Drift teams, which is still a le- effort of, uh, you know, love and uh, friendship from a lot of people. You know, my dad's not yeah. getting paid to come to these events. You know, for many years, he was uh, ditching his work, his business to come and enjoy and partake and help the team succeed along with a few other friends. So yeah. it's like, ideally, at some point, we can, uh, you know, turn it, turn the race team into the full business, not just the shop and everything else. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you can just get like big Mazda funding. That's all we need. I mean, man, that, that would be great. <laughs> I'm sure that's the dream, yeah. though. Just like one day. Oh, yeah. To have like yeah. A, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we're always talking to those companies. We've we've worked with Mazda on and off. And, uh, you know, they have a love hate with drifting. Um, they love that everybody loves drifting and that it's so iconic with their cars, but they hate to put money into it. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it'd be great to see them come on board more. Um, especially with the potential for new rotary and the potential for things like the Mazda RX nine, I think, you know, the zoom zoom that used to be like the, the Mazda thing. I think they're yeah. going to try to bring it back. I think, you know, they've, they've, they've weighed heavy into creating some luxury performance market uh, image and cars. And uh, I think that they still are creating sports cars. You know, you look at the ND and uh, the future RX-9 if they bring it out. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it would make sense to bring some Zoom Zoom back. And I would expect to see Mazda put more effort into motorsports in the near future. So I, I think yeah, I think that could so. happen. Yeah, I can't well, say I mean, for sure, but that's what I hear. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we've we seen it where even like Ford releasing their new basically like track Mustang when the GT yeah. came out. Like it takes a couple of these other companies to start doing that. And then yeah. everybody else like, oh, okay, I guess we're going back to, to doing this. Like that's, 
you know, all it takes is one brand to do it. Even realistically, like the mid-engine Corvette, like that yeah. is what spurred Ford to get going, yeah. which will hopefully, yeah. I mean, and then there's just Dodge that's just like, yeah, everything gets a thousand horsepower, whether you like it or not. So <laughs> Swedge that in there, that Hemi. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's cool. And, and yeah, I think as manufacturers race electric cars, because their yeah. electric cars numbers are so powerful and, and the torque numbers are so high, um, you see uh, reciprocating engines and just the regular manufacturers also kind of getting caught up in, I think, a race for horsepower and torque because... You know, everybody at the end of the day wants to have either a beautiful car or a powerful car. If you're a car person, you don't generally want to have the lowest horsepower car around. It's a little yeah. bit of a flex. So, you know, yeah. yeah, you see, you see, I think, uh, internal combustion continuing to get a push. And I think it was like Porsche announced not too long because I'm a Porsche guy as well. I, I coach yeah. at Porsche and, and love GT3s and definitely would drift one of those if I could have the chance I have, but like, I mean, in formula drift, like I'd love to bring a Porsche to formula drift again. Cause JIC yeah. did it back in the day. I was going to say there was one. Um, but yeah, I think Porsche announced that they were going to go into development of their own fuel for internal combustion. So instead of saying, Hey, we're going to agree and, and go electric. They're like, no, you said we need to get away from gasoline. Okay. We're going to invent a new fuel. And I think that's really neat. So I think, you know, seeing that kind of stuff and, and that's kind of like a weird thing I got into is, I mean, most of Formula Drift runs ethanol. We're, we're almost yeah. all, some guys aren't, but, uh, the majority of the field runs ethanol. It's cheaper. We can get it easy here in the U S it's corn, corn fuel, basically, you know, um, whiskey for cars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's environmentally friendly and cheaper and a uh, higher octane or at least at a high octane. So depending on what race fuel you're running, at least for our case in rotaries, we don't want to run a leaded fuel. So right. the highest octanes are about 105 to 108 octane. And that comes into about $20, $27 a gallon. And so a long time ago, we realized that we could be running ethanol at approximately the same octane, and it was going to be 2 to $5 a gallon. And we could have it delivered to the track, it's not as corrosive. It's not as toxic. If you get it on your skin, um, and it's not as bad for the environment. There's other things with ethanol that you have to be aware of um, when it comes to your fuel systems. You do need to have an ethanol rated system, um, you know, but for us, it became a way with the rotary engine. We were able to generate more power with the octane and have a cleaner fuel. And that was kind of funny, too, because then we got into uh, renewable lubricants, which is a non-petroleum based oil. So we ended up being the only car in Formula Drift and the only car I know of in professional motorsports in the U.S. that has absolutely no petroleum-based products in it. Our greases, our oils, our fuel. I mean, yeah, we run an E98 fuel. So technically, there's probably a little bit of gasoline run. But it's an E98, yeah. so it's high, yeah. high content. But uh, our, our thought process was, wouldn't it be kind of neat if we could partner with these companies and create a program that would be considered environmentally friendly that's still a normal combustion engine and uh, that's essentially what we've done by eliminating petroleum from our car we've got a more environmentally friendly and responsible package less environmental footprint and we actually make more power than we did on gasoline because ethanol had the octane we needed and it's a cooler burn we saved money and then uh, renewable lubricants kind of came along developed a premix. Um, had the oils on tap already, 
and uh, already had the performance reputation from 20 years in business out of Ohio um, to kind of get into drifting and what the abuse of drifting is. Because if you're not familiar with drifting, drifting is super abusive on the motors and you got to have good products, whether it be the fuel or the oil, even the water, like everything's, yeah. everything's got to be top quality. I think Zendofa talked about it in one of your podcasts recently, the, the drift tax. Yeah. I laughed so hard. It's so <laughs> true. I mean, yeah. the motors I build for the Formula Drift car, if they were in a drag car, they'd be 1,600 to 1,800 horsepower, but they won't live in a drift car for that long. So they're a 1,000 horsepower motor. And every component yeah. is like that that goes into a drift car. You tell them you're going to run a 1,000 horsepower through it, they're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. You put it in there, you blow it up, they go redesign it. So, um, you know, it's it just was a matter of, of finding high-quality components that worked with our package and then being... California guy. I like surfing. I like hiking in the mountains. I like fishing. Um, deep down inside, I was always like, am I burning the things that I actually enjoy? And can I mm. do something different? And hey, everybody teach their own, do what you want. But uh, yeah. I, I found a way for me to enjoy the performance motorsports and some other, uh, other products to go in there that gave it a little bit more of an environmentally friendly spin. Um, which you has, guys have swapped over yeah. too, which is interesting. Yeah. Like it's not like yeah. it's just you running that that oil no. anymore. No, yeah. no, yeah, it's actually really good stuff. Um, you know, it's it's made here in the USA and it's uh, very stable um, under extreme temperatures and under high loads. They've uh, tested in NHRA drag racing and offshore powerboat racing. Um, wow. The U.S. government uses it. That's kind of how they came about. So I'll leave it at that. You know, go check it out. Renewable lubricants. They'll be really appreciative of that title sponsor. And I'll throw in Mazda Tricks and Eflex in there as well. Eflex, um, basically, if you've got an OEM car, you can put a flex fuel piggyback on your OEM car so you can run ethanol. And since gas is $7 a gallon right now, that piggyback system is extremely viable. Like put it on your huh. Tundra, put it on your Z, you put it on a boosted car and you're, it's going to, it's going to up the timing. So you're going to get a performance advantage and a cheaper fuel. Yeah. That's what that E-Flex sticker is on the back is it's a piggyback computer uh, that allows your street car to flex fuel in any of your truck, whatever. Yeah. Interesting. It's awesome. Super huh. cool technology. Yeah. yeah. You get a little app on your phone and you can like make like you're a tuner and make some adjustments, but it's pretty safe. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I yeah. might have to look so, into that. Yeah. It's, it's actually pretty cool stuff for the industry. Um, especially from the standpoint of where we have so many modern cars that are boosted or we're looking yeah. for a little more throttle pickup, you know, accelerator pedal pickup, similar to like one of some of the other plugins do, um, you know, a little mild tuning. And then in this case, it gives you the option to flex fuel as well. Which be some I mean, Subaru guys that'll be all over this. Oh that's man. Like, yeah. That's yeah. like the most Subaru thing I've heard. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I've been surprised too, is the truck guys, um, you know, because yeah, that makes there's sense. a lot like, yeah. And so then you can flex fuel your, your truck. If you're daily driving it, cut down on fuel and pick up a little power. So it's kind of neat technology. So hmm. that's, that's what's on the side of my car. That's what's going on. Okay. I think people, people ask and they're like, what's renewable lubricants, corn based yeah. oil. And uh, what's E-Flex? It's piggyback uh, flex fuel computers. Get out I'm going to look into that. that's, yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. I've, I've never, that's the first time. Like, obviously I know about flex fuel sensors yeah. and 
mapping mm-hmm. based on ethanol content, but never yeah. like a, a plug and play or at least like a piggyback system. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It just plugs in, it bypasses on your injector clip. So basically yeah. you just plug in on top of your injector clips. The OEM harness goes back on. It's like power and ground, Wi-Fi up, you're good to go. Oh, and a flex fuel sensor in the kit. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, huh. yeah I'm going to look into that. That's, yeah, that's wife, wife's forerunner, flex fuel. You know, shop truck, if it's not diesel, flex fuel. Um, you know, it, it's cool performance and uh, and a cheaper alternative. And you think about it, I think a lot of people are like, oh, but ethanol, it's like, hey, it's flex fuel. You still have gas in there. You still get in the lubrication. Yeah. You know, you're not running the system dry. It's not 100% alcohol. That's, yeah. you know, you can't even get that really these days. So. No. Um, I wanted to know where the 99 came from because you like pulled that number real quick and you've you've had yeah. it. It's mine. It's mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not giving it up. There's people that have tried, like, I'm pretty sure like some drivers offered me money or something, but yeah, not giving it up. Um, so I was, uh, really into a, a couple reasons, really. Um, uh, so I really did a lot of RC car racing as a youth, uh, okay. like full on professional RC car racing, probably where it all started, traveled with my pops, um, my dad and, uh, and my grandpa too. And, uh, we, raced RC cars. We did the pan cars, whether it be road course or oval, um, won some national championships, traveled around to a lot of the West Coast stuff, like just Vegas and Bakersfield, NorCal, San Diego. But uh, it was an amazing way for when I was young, my my dad was keeping me out of trouble. And (laughs) it was an amazing way to do something with the family. He was a car guy. I was a car guy. It got the grandparents involved. And so we would do these RC car events. And, uh, in a way, when I started to get into motorsports, like I already understood apexes. I already stood, understood the lingo. I already, you know, understood how to generate lap times, you know, early apex, late apex. So as I kind of got into what originally I thought was going to be into road racing, um, you know, I, I was using a lot of what I had learned from RC cars and my RC cars number was always one of the numbers I picked was always 99. And so it was kind of a number I would always go with. And then, you know, jump a little forward. I was racing. I was doing stuff. Um, Greg Moore was 99 in uh, Indy cars. And I was, he was a very iconic driver. And unfortunately he passed at California Speedway years ago, like 2004 or something, 2006. And I was there and uh, it was, it was a sad thing because like as a motorsports fan, he was like the guy I was rooting for at that event. And I watched him crash. And so, and so again, like I was already using that number. That was his number. And then in a weird way, right at the same time, I was working at Mazda Tricks. We had started a race team at Mazda Tricks. I was building all the motors for that race team, kind of heading up. I wasn't one of the drivers, but I was heading up kind of the motor development side. And uh, the owner of Mazda Tricks always ran number 99. And so I was like, hey, I've always ran 99. And he was like, I've always, and it's kind of like, there's some universe things there, like nine, 99, like, you know, there's some significance to that number in, in, in its sequence, but it just became something that like, I was like, wow, too many times has this number come up. It's very significant. The people around me are using this number. The people I liked were using this number. I've always used this number. And so right when I had the opportunity to go into Formula Drift, I was like <laughs> 99. And uh, it's so funny that I have not been the only person who has wanted that number. Um, 
yeah. you know and then in weird ways too like uh you know me and Trent Beecham ended up uh, on a team together for a couple seasons just uh, with some partners and he is I think 999 yeah, and so I asked him, I was like, what's up with that? And he was like, well, I was number 99, but you have 99. <laughs> and so he's like, I couldn't, he's like, that's my numbers. And he's like, so I just added another nine. And I was like, oh, oh. yeah, I'm not, not giving that up, buddy. So yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting how myself and other drivers as well, there are numbers that have significant meaning to us. Um, you know, for me, it's shop history, childhood history, moments in life. Um, that kind of builds the significance and, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely become part of our image, like our gear, KMR 99, the decals. If you're picking up KMR swag, it's probably going to have yeah. 99 on there. And so it's become like the rotary part of our team and what we're doing. So hmm. yeah, many reasons. Even if I won the championship, I'd probably leave number 99 and put a one next to it or something like that. It's one Got to keep yeah. the 99. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I was I was like subtly yeah. hoping you go down like a Wayne Gretzky route just because I'm a big oh. hockey guy. But okay, hey. yeah, yeah, there, <laughs> I yeah. So I mean, being from Long Beach, yeah, I, I grew up watching the Kings and, and Gretzky. Kings, yeah. Gretz, yeah, Gretzky was a, an amazing player, so I did grow up watching him. And you know, there probably is some significance <laughs> there, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was it was all those things. Like I said, so many times that number was on you know, people that I was watching or at times in my life. So yeah, Gretzky's a good one too. That guy's a great hmm. player. I love, I like hockey. Used oh, to yeah. be a, a, when, when Gretzky was pay, playing, I was a pretty big hockey fan. But the weird thing is, is once I started drifting, like I had time for nothing else. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> like, it's so funny. You just bring that up because like everybody, <laughs> everybody I've spoken to, yeah at FD that's at that level like yeah. that's that's what it becomes like yeah. no I'm yeah. there is there is this is my life mm-hmm. yeah, and it's, anything it's that I'm doing supports this thing like yeah. yeah 100% dedication and it's like you know I mentioned it earlier kind of changing my own thought process it's like for so many years it's like you know I was an engine builder I'm a driving coach I you know I do drifting and it's like now it's a different mindset. It's kind of like how Matt field or Denofa. it's like, no, I'm a professional driver. So it's like mm. diet matters. Training matters. Like I'm trying to reverse aging. That's not going so well. I'm getting older <laughs> no matter how hard I try. Um, but you know, just being able to keep in shape for these events, um, keep the stamina up, be able to stay mentally sharp by the time you have to go qualify is crazy. Like formula drift, nobody talks about this formula drift tries to torture us during qualified <laughs> qualifying days like they make them the longest day as possible half the it's time brutal. we sit in the sun like do an autograph session and then we're going to qualify usually when the sun is setting in our eyes at the end of the day so the visibility's changed the track conditions changed i'm going to be blind and i'm tired man <laughs> by <laughs> like, the way Andrew needs yeah. to be perfect yeah. And, and it's your opportunity to be perfect or go yeah. home. So it's extremely important to be able to stay awake for a day that takes that much energy, uh, maintain mental composure, physical, you know, ability to not, you know, it's like, it's real easy to drink a Red Bull early in the day and then be tired in the afternoon or not feel, feel as good as you could of, um, in yeah. these, in these situations. So, yeah, kind of restructuring, like, at this point, 20 years into a career, maybe a few years ago, it was like this whole mindset change of like, wow, 
I, not only for myself, but to be the best uh, entertainer, the best athlete, because uh, it's kind of a mixture of in, in drifting. Um, I can be is is not to be lazy, but is to get on the sim, is to get out there, get some exercise. But that combined with the efforts of the transport, the cars, um, you know, keeping everything running, being at events, yeah, it just becomes what I think is great, which is my dream, is is a full time career based around drifting. But uh, yeah, things like uh, I used to play guitar. Um, don't do that much anymore. Like I, I like surfing and fishing. I, yeah, a couple times a year. I, I, I'm finally getting to go do some camping occasionally because my son is now four and a half. Yeah, and it's like I absolutely have to get out with him and get those experiences, uh, both for myself and the wife, but also for him. Of course, he's coming to the events. He's a car guy already. I already ruined it <laughs> in case anybody's worrying there. Yeah, yeah like. Yeah, it doesn't take. He's got much. all kinds of car stuff. He already speaks brap, like he likes rotaries. <laughs> he yeah, speaks brap. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 all done. He comes to the shop and wants to hit stuff with a hammer and, and work on stuff. Even yeah. a four and a half year old, but uh, I keep telling him to be a doctor. But uh, you know, just being able to have some time to break away from drifting once in a while because it has been a long career, but also try to stay uh, fresh and try to stay hungry. Um, and try to stay proactive on being the best I can be for the sport, for my partners, for my family, for myself, for my team, all of that, which is not easy. It's a lot, you, you know, yeah. yeah, no, no, I agree. It's, yeah. it's tough. It's a war of attrition. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, and yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've kind of covered like what, what keeps you in it, but like how, how long can you see yourself doing this for? Like, do you, I know that's such a tough question to ask. Yeah. ask all the long time guys I asked this. So like, you know, don't, I'm not picking on you. Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, I, I love it so much. Um, you know, I, I do not see stopping it. If that makes sense. Okay. Like, like there's uh, no, it's not on the yeah, horizon. Like, yeah. Like, you know, personally, uh, something that we've been trying to figure out as a team and it's a little more difficult um, being rotary based but I would, I would love to get a teammate. I would love yeah. to again, have a, a partner in driving, whether it be uh, somebody that I bring on and is working with me in a car I build or drives one of my existing cars as I get another car built. Um, but just like Odie or, you know, RTR or, you know, so many, uh, uh Stephen Papadakis, yeah. Um, longevity in motorsports doesn't always mean specifically behind the driver's seat. Um, I would love to be able to continue to run a team and be a driver forever, but I would also love to be able to run a team and see a team and a business flourish that I own and uh, the cars that I build um, be driven to their optimal ability. And so I've always thought it would be interesting to maybe get somebody into the MX-5 because I think it's a very competitive car. Um, maybe even outside of Formula Drift, um, just see how that goes. I actually did field um, a driver in Pro two years ago, and right. we were fairly yeah we were fairly successful. But he missed his license. He was he was like the one guy short. He hit the wall at uh. Irvingdale. Yeah, we we were really close, and so that just that was you know it was like kind of at that point the effort died, and in that momentum. Um, but it wasn't because we didn't want to do it. It's just a matter of putting the right pieces together. And then, uh, you know, there's, there's just so many things to do. 
Um, you know, we, we <laughs> built we built the shop business over the past few years instead of maybe hunting for another uh, a teammate or driver. But I think as we build the four rotor, you know, to answer your question, uh, I would like to keep drifting as long as I can in the driver's seat. Um, and then I would also like to inv- investigate other ways to continue to be involved in the sport um, and grow my team and my business around drifting and the sport that it is. And maybe even backwards expand to what I used to do into some road racing. But uh, I think drifting is where I actually find the most enjoyment. It's hmm. really the, the sport that I enjoy the most. It would be, it'd be sick. I mean, hopefully yeah. this like gets a whole bunch of the prospect guys knocking on your door where it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I think, yeah. I think it'd be sick to see a rotary and prospect. I think arguably it would be like, just if you were to take that, um, NC and basically just put that into prospect, even on those two fifty fives, I think it would absolutely just destroy. Like, yeah, it would be very interesting. And there's certain things you can do. And kind of like there's there's certain like benefits and drawbacks to having such a small wheelbase too. Although yeah, it's not that. What is it? Ninety four inches. Yeah, ninety three, ninety four. So it's pretty short. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I and I absolutely agree. I think in like a pro spec trim or like I've ran it in hot pit. Yeah. Um, it, it's very hot pit. yeah, very competitive, <laughs> very competitive car, and it has pros and cons. Uh, being small at times, you know, makes the ability to chase its pocket is very narrow. Yeah. Um, but it also means your positioning as a lead driver, like is very noticeable. If you come up shallow, the whole car is outside of the box, you know, or yeah. the whole car is inside of the box. So I think, you know, with its uniqueness, um, given the right driver, it could be extremely competitive. Um, but it would need somebody who's into that style of car, that style of driving, um, and, uh, I think that, you know, a lot of people probably remember it from when we had it in formula drift and it was a little twitchy. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up re-engineering the rear suspension and, uh, in both cars, the RX eight and the, uh, MX five, cause they're similar five links. Um, and we were able to eliminate a lot of that twitchiness that that car used to have. So I think that's part of why it looks better, uh, when we've used it recently and why yeah. it's gotten a little more attention. And then also why I've reconsidered the idea of, oh, actually, maybe that is a really good car. And maybe getting somebody into it um, could showcase how good it really is outside of me, um, you know, because, uh, hey, if somebody can outdrive me in my own car, bring it. Come on. I, and, yeah, and like, like you got a license and maybe a couple sponsors. Like, well, let's talk. You know, we've seen it. Yeah. I mean, we we've seen it this year with with yeah. both. I mean, <laughs> James Dean, Chelsea Denofa, Adam. Yeah. You know, out driving Vaughn yeah. in some cases, Simon out driving mm-hmm. Odie. I think yeah. he's beat him twice now. Like, mm-hmm. it's possible. Like, it's definitely possible. Yeah. I think that'd be sick. Yeah. And I think one thing that's really interesting is so, I, you know, I worked with Porsche and other companies for many years as a driving coach, driving instructor. And you can have a really good driver, but if they don't know the track and the nuances, yeah. they can struggle. And you can have a driver hop into a team that maybe has all of that information on tap and give that car set up, give that information to that driver that already has the kill set, uh, skill set, and they can prosper really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can come in and struggle on their own, not being able to find maybe the gearing, the track setup, yeah. the alignment settings, if you're trying to come into 
ProSpec or Formula D from a private level. And I know that because the first couple of years I ran Formula Drift, that's all I was doing was trying mm. to figure out gearing, car settings, shift points, because you're only getting eight laps, 10 laps before qualifying. Yeah. 10 if so, you're lucky. Yeah. And there wasn't sim sim driving when I was starting in Formula Drift. So right. you had to do physical driving. Yeah. Um, but now, yeah, I've got my sim right here next to me. We were all playing <laughs> Irwindale last night. I'm horrible at sim drifting, but visually <laughs> and mentally, it still really helps me out. There's been multiple times this year where hopping onto the sim has given me visual accountability of the course before mm -hmm. I go out to those events. And then uh, I actually, my spotter is a sim driver, uh, William Holloway. And so he runs on a lot of the professional EA sports stuff. Yep. And I found it really interesting being able to tap into his knowledge of drifting from the uh, sim side and being able to put him in the spotter's tower and have him observe what Formula Drift is doing and quickly be able to give me feedback from his perspective that totally makes sense driver to driver. He's just coming yeah. from a sim driving world as where sometimes I have to remind him like, remember, I can't hit the wall right now. There's no reset button. <laughs> you have, <laughs> but, to, uh, you yeah. have to pull a Ryan literal and put him in the car. Yeah. I mean, that'll yeah. be, I want to see more of that. It's so cool to see. Yeah, we've talked about it. And uh, Ryan literal and who was it? Was it a... James Piotr, Dean, Piotr yeah, Insight Piotr, did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did. both of those uh, drivers doing that have definitely given me interest into seeing what some of the other sim drivers can do, um, and vice versa. I think you know whether it be from the like, is it river river slide, riverside drift, yep. um, you know, hot pit, uh, clutch kickers. I think these are all really good like testing grounds, breeding grounds for where potentially future Formula Drift drivers can be coming from. So yeah, I've been like I've yeah. been very much I, any of those live streams that come up, I try and yeah. I try and pull them up and watch. Like yeah. even if it's yeah. just passively, just yeah. to see. Like I'm I'm very interested and obviously invested in who are we going to see come into Pro Two yeah. next year or Prospect next year, yeah. and then who would the potentially move up? And like for me, it was like Robert Thorne. Where like, yeah. I knew nothing about him. He goes into pro spec. I saw him run a couple laps, his first run in pro spec. And I went, there's something here. And then I did some yeah. research. I'm like, oh, this kid's got like lap time on tracks that like no one can touch. And yeah. then makes the jump into pro. He's, I mean, he played spoiler to James Dean in St. Louis. Like that was an amazing battle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, speaking of too, I want to say, I want to give you a big uh, shout out. Because last year you almost spoiled Frederick Osbo's championship in Irwindale, oh, man. buddy. Yeah, holy yeah. cow! <laughs> yeah, when 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 we get the setup right, it's a really good car, and, oh. and that's again where I talk about team infrastructure playing such a big part of what the driver can do. Because it's not just driver against driver out there; it's team against team. And when you're yes. going up against Osbo, you're going up against Papadakis. Yeah. And that's a that's a really big thing. I think a lot of people don't think about that, but he's an amazing engineer. Um, and so anytime us as a privateer team or a somewhat private team and a rotary team, smallest displacement out there, can get those upsets or almost knock Osbo out. I mean, those are really big moments for us because if you really think about it, like from Papadakis' perspective, he probably should not be getting challenged by us. 
Uh, and yeah. anytime we can get out there and put it on Frederick's door or Castro's door, or anybody for that matter, it's, it's a big deal to us. And that's again, why we show up. It's to put pressure on those guys. After the last battle I had with Osbo, um, I believe in Utah, yeah. I went over to him and I told him, I was like, I'm getting you next time. And he stopped, <laughs> he stopped, he stopped and he looked at me and he was like, he was thinking about it and he was like, no, you're not. But I, he, <laughs> I, I know he knew for a moment exactly that I, I meant it because yeah. it, at Irwindale last year, I'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> but uh, at Irwindale last year and at Utah, I think uh, we fielded a very competitive car against them. And I left both of those battles having made one mistake to give it away. And it made me really feel like if I had the opportunity to do it again, or I could eliminate that one mistake that we could potentially be getting one more times or wins against some of these top teams. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. So the battle against Oslo last year, that was a really tough one. That was a tough one for so many reasons. Um, in the rain is always super difficult. I like driving in the rain. I'm probably one of the odd American drivers that likes it. But uh, you're the, like the only California yeah. driver that likes. I it. I don't know like, why. I don't get to yeah. rain practice around here. Maybe it's because it's so unique. I'm like, whoa, free horsepower. I've got yeah. a limited I, torque. Like this I was is just amazing. Say, I think that's yeah. what it is. I think it's just that yeah. like you don't have to worry yeah. about torque. It's it's yeah, a it's, it's, yeah. Super responsive. And and a lot of people, like I have a, a boost knob. I could turn it down for rain. I don't. I leave it up. I leave everything the same. I, I, we drop the tire pressures and disconnect the rear sway bar. That's our setting yeah. changes for rain. And it works Classic. great. But, uh, you know, in that run against Frederick, and I do not fault Frederick at all. It's just a racing incident. When we came down into the inner clip, there was a transitional change. Uh, it goes from the bank to flat, and it was mm -hmm. a very bad hydroplane right there. And when Fred hit it, he went straight. And I lifted. Like, I, at that moment, was like, whoa, he's, I didn't know if he was crashing. Some, something was happening. It was totally my fault. If I had stayed in the gas, I would have hit him. Mm -hmm. And this was my mistake. This is something I learned from, from that event was don't save the cars. <laughs> don't, don't. We're, yeah, we're not there no. to save a car. I needed You're to right. hit Frederick. It was 100% my win if I had to hit him because it would have been his fault. But because I lifted, I tried not to hit him, I changed my line, then he relit and I relit, I was now offline and I drove my car right into the wall trying to chase him. If you actually watch the video, he goes off track too. There's just no wall there. We both went off track at the finish line. Mm -hmm. Um I hit the wall. Uh, it hurt. I, you had to go get towed in. Um, at the time, the spotter was unsure of calling a protest. He hadn't noticed that Fred had gone off track too. Um, and it's arguable, like where it was at was just past the finish line, but the rural state got to maintain drift, maintain control, maintain yeah. control. And so technically, you know, his mistake forced me into a crash and he still basically went off track. So. I would have loved to have actually had enough time or somebody from my team say, hey, that's probably protestable because we didn't realize until we were at home a day later, you know, Sunday, getting ready for the banquet going, man, wait a minute. <laughs> like there was a lot of mistakes that happened right there. And some of them were ours, just not playing our cards right. So again, 
kudos to Papadakis Racing. They got the yeah. win. Um, but I would say that that arguably could have gone at least a one more time. Um, we weren't able to get the car fixed in the five minutes we had. We were a minute away from fixing it and getting to get back out there and try again, mm-hmm. in which case maybe the judges would have looked at what had actually happened uh, more so if, if we had to have had it done another run and maybe my team could have looked at what had actually happened. But uh, either way, it's part of the entertainment. We went out with a bang at the end of last year. That was great. Um, you know, and yeah, beating Castro and then really putting a competitive car, whether it's wet or dry up against a Papadakis racing was a big thing for us. And, and this year, although we haven't got the points, I feel like we've had some amazing battles, um, you know, Absolutely great run. I feel like against uh, Oswald at the last round, I just you know, dropped a tire, and it's such like, man, you tell so tough. It. You're you're yeah. in the smoke, and it's like I could just feel the tire just glide off uh-huh. in that little stall and back on. Um, and you know, Forsberg went against him in St. Louis, and I feel like it was probably one of the best chases I've done against Forsberg in the past couple of years. But man, that car digs out of the hole. We yeah. got on the throttle out of the, out, you know, I feel like we got on throttle at about the same time coming out of that hairpin. And, uh, yeah, he just out, outpowered me. So that's coming back to where I think us bringing a four rotor to the competition may alleviate a little bit of that torque power discrepancy. Um, and then also looking into the longevity of the team and seeing if maybe, yeah, we can develop ways to make sure Kyle Mohan Racing, Mazda Tricks, the whole rotary contingent in Formula Drift continues to live on in, in many different ways. That would be my goal. Sick. Well, yeah. I'm excited for it, man. Um, I'm pumped. As much as this is yeah. like coming out after Wendell, maybe maybe this will be like yeah. ominous and people will be like, oh, they talked about this. <laughs> he did beat him. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. But we're yeah. going into Irwindale ready to kill. I mean, no, we, we have our setups. The car's running great. Um, Vitor has given us a great tire this year. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's a great thing, you know, and that's what everybody says. Oh, they're wild. And, and what I say is, no, you gave me Rome and cash who are pretty <laughs> solid drivers with wild cars, a competitive tire. Like, yeah. You took three like, competitive yeah, guys and gave yeah, me a competitive tire. Gave, yeah. gave us a competitive tire. And yeah, so yeah. now we're showing up a lot better. But, um, you know, I think that's been a game changer and just, you know, I can't wait to see. It looks like, you know, it's going to be dry at Irwindale. Last year was, so. was rain. So it was fingers crossed. Rain. We'll, yeah, we'll see how that turns out. But we're definitely going there to upset some of those big teams. Good. Good. Yeah. I'm stoked for you, man. Thank you. Um, well, I'm glad we got to do this. It was a little bit. It was like couple weeks back and forth, but it's, uh, it's all good. You guys have, yeah. I, I've learned this, like booking all of you. Do you everyone has insane lives <laughs> yeah. and just trying yeah. to like, and everybody's very polite too, where they're like, they don't want it. They want to make sure that like my schedule is fine. I'm like, don't worry about my schedule. <laughs> worry about you. I'll worry about yours. So, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'm glad we got to do this, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Likewise. I really appreciate it. And uh, I enjoy watching the episode. So it's kind of, Cool to be on here now. Thank you. Thanks for making it happen. Makes me feel important. Long time and, uh, listener, first time yeah, caller, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, just thanks to everybody, all the fans, everybody who who loves rotaries. Like, thank you so much. And then, yeah, all of my partners that make it happen, I, I couldn't do it without my partners. So please check out my YouTube, check out Instagram, 
give me a shout out, give me a follow. I'll say hi. I run all that stuff. I don't have some agent right now. So <laughs> maybe someday, but basically right now you're talking to me. So feel free nice. to say hi. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'll put, I always make sure to put all the links in the pro, in the cool. podcast description. So yeah, go take yeah. a look. The YouTube stuff's been fun too. I was catching up on yeah. some of that. So yeah, it's good, man. It's good. Um, yeah. For everybody listening at home, thank you so much. Make sure to to watch, you can, there's proof that he does have Apex Seals and Premix on hand at any given time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. That was not yeah. staged. That was <laughs> not staged at all. It's just my office. It's like, yeah, rotary parts. I got clutch discs, you know. There you go. <laughs> Sick. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Kyle. Thank you for everybody listening. And we'll, uh, we'll catch everybody next week. 